Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Uh, Tom Nixon is with me. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jay. How are you? Doing well. Just uh, adjusting here, as we all are. But uh, but yeah, doing just fine. Yeah, I'm trying to, uh, as we approach Thanksgiving, I really am. I hope this doesn't come across as overly squishy or preachy, but I'm making an extra, extra effort this year to try to focus on the things that I am thankful for. And I know that's this is a tough year to kind of keep all of that top of mind, but you know, I, we, I'm blessed. We still have a great family. We're still healthy. We still have a fulfilling career. There's lots to be thankful for. And if there was ever a year to focus on that, I think it's this year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree completely. Yeah. As, I mean, as everyone knows, and as everyone's been writing about and talking about, it's, it's no doubt going to be a tough winter, but uh, at least at least some of the news coming our way on the vaccine front has been positive. So hopefully we can look forward to a, at least a better 2021, uh, fingers crossed. Yep, that's the hope. Yeah. So with that, let's talk about uh, our, our topic for today's episode, which is thought leadership, uh, but in a, with a little bit of a twist to it. Um, and, you know, this topic, Tom, I know you had kind of crafted uh, this outline, and I'm going to interview you to a greater extent today um, on this issue, but it it really resonated with me, and it made me think of, you know, uh, what what's happening right now in Michigan, which is it's hunting season, and mm. it's deer hunting season, and so up here in northern Michigan, where I'm at, it's, you know, it's like a, it's like a state holiday, uh, and everyone's out in the woods doing their thing, um, and and I think that, you know, as we talk about the issue of thought leadership, it, it brings to mind like this distinction where you know, there are certain activity, marketing activities that are probably more akin to hunting, uh, and there are others that are more akin to farming. And I think thought leadership lies more towards the farming end of the spectrum in that it's, you know, it's a long process. It, at times it, it requires, it's sort of the long game, long-term thinking. Um, you really have to have a nurturing mindset about it. Um, it. You know, there's there's big rewards at the end, but you've really got to lay the groundwork, plant the seeds, water the seeds, etc. So I think that that mindset helps distinguish between you know thought leadership marketing from other other forms of marketing, and, and that's kind of what you know we're going to talk about today, which is some of the distinctions and and really what what thought leadership is not in some respects. So um, with that being said. Uh, Let's let's dive into this. Um, and so I thought, Tom, before asking you uh, my first question for you, I wanted to maybe just set the stage with a just a brief definition of what thought leadership is, because that might be helpful to just lay some foundation. So I, I just kind of jotted this down uh, as a as a potential definition. I'm curious as to your thoughts whether you think it captures the sentiment, but. Thought leadership is sharing insights and catalyzing conversations through the creation of content that creates enrollment in and engagement with your ideas. By sharing such content, your audience becomes better informed, grows to trust you, and begins to see you as someone who can help them address the challenges they face. So that was my short definition. Um, don't know what your thoughts about that, but I, I, hopefully that kind of sets the stage for our discussion. That's No, I think that's great. Is that your definition or did you find that somewhere? Well, it might be, <laughs> it, you know what, like one of those things, I just wrote it out uh, and I, I uh, 
I, so I guess it's mine, although it's possible I stole it from someone else, but not consciously. Uh, okay, but well, it, maybe you, know, you curated it. There you go. Curated. Yes. That's a much, uh, it's a softer term. So I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. No, I thought it was, I thought it was spot on in, into your earlier analogy. You know, what happens if you've ever hunted, what happens when you're tracking a deer, right? The target's moving away from you. The target's trying to avoid you. And I think so much of sales type of activity that is targeting and is aggressive, I think does have the effect of, you know, repelling the target because nobody wants to be hunted. Now they might want to take part in the bounty, you know, once you've grown the seed and you've nurtured it and you have this actual bounty to offer, that's when people are attracted to you. So that sort of is a great, both your analogy and your definition, I think is a great framework for what we're talking about. Awesome. Cool. Well, then let's sh uh, shift here to talking about what thought leadership is not. Um, so first off, um, you know, we're going to be using, I think we'll use some, some de quote defined terms or, or certain you know, jargon that's oftentimes used in the marketing industry uh, to describe some of these things. But, but thought leadership is not, at least it's not considered a pure lead generation tactic in the, in the traditional sense of the word, right? Yeah, I think that's all about expectation setting. So if the expectation is, is I'm going to write one article, I'm going to post to my blog, and then I'm going to wait for the phone to ring. That's, I think, an unfair expectation of what we're describing and what you defined as thought leadership. So just to take a step back, you know, we work with attorneys, law firms, legal marketers in my throughout the course of my career. I've worked with all sorts of other businesses as well, both B2B, B2C. I work for, with nonprofits um, in at, at, at the base level. Defining your marketing strategy is all about aligning your tactics with the buying behaviors of the audience. So if we think about lawyers and going back to this issue of lead generation, most attorneys are hired for expertise and they are hired because of a trust that is built up over time, like your farming analogy. They're usually not clicking on a link and then filling out a form to try to get contact. I mean, that's just, you know, especially with a lot of the types of law firms that we work with in attorneys. Now, there are certain lawyers like personal injury attorneys that might get hired transactionally because of a discrete event happened and somebody goes out looking for a very specific kind of attorney. But there are a lot of other attorneys who want to be positioned as a long-term partner in a resource in part an extension of the company that hires them. And so that just doesn't happen transactionally. It's not a sort of quote unquote lead generation. So it's all about now to say, does lead, does thought leadership generate leads? I think what it does is it generates genuine inbound inquiries and reactions to the content that you're sharing. And I think that is a more valuable expectation and a more valuable outcome to expect of thought leadership marketing, as opposed to some of these other you know, tactics that might align really well with a consumer brand or a nonprofit brand or something like that, but just they don't align right in, um, with how most attorneys get hired. And so I just like to set the expectation that what you're not doing is you're not putting a, a coin into a gumball machine and waiting for the gumball to come out. That is like, you know, buying clicks and, and things like that on the cheap. And that's not what we're trying to do. And um, so that that is the first distinction I would make. Any reactions to that, Jay? Yeah, I, just to maybe add a, a couple different thoughts onto that, because I think that's all um, well said, Tom. But yeah, it's right. It's not to draw the distinction. Uh, it's it's not like a Google paper 
per click ad, you know, um, your, your thought leadership content. What you're really doing is thinking again over the long term and developing a digital footprint, right? Where you're, you're gonna be visible in many different places, hopefully in places where your target audience spends their time and attention. Um, you're, cre you're really creating a body of work. I like to think of uh, one's thought leadership as their, their online biography. Oftentimes lawyers think of their bio as something that resides on their website. Um, how much traffic is coming to your law firm's website? Not much. What you need to do is populate the expanse of the internet with your bio, uh, which, which consists of the ideas you have to share as uh, exemplified through your thought leadership content. So that's really, I think, what you want to be doing. And what you're doing, again, as I, as I talked about in, in my definition of thought leadership, what you're trying to do, I guess the, the quote lead generation that you're doing is, is getting people enrolled in your ecosystem. Um, and so when we think about the traditional, you know, form of lead, lead generation where you're getting, you know, you're trying to capture someone's email address and then you're immediately hitting them with some offer, right? Mm -hmm. That's not what we're doing. What we're doing with thought leadership, if you are attracting people back to your website, is not offering them a call to action to immediately buy what you're selling, but rather it's some, what I like to call a transitional call to action, where again, you're giving them the opportunity to further immerse themselves or enroll themselves into your ideas, giving them the opportunity to receive more of your free and insightful commentary through your thought leadership content. And over time, the idea is that they will, through continuing to consume your work, when the opportunity does arise, when the urgency gets to the point where they have to hire someone like you, you're top of mind and they're thinking of you. So that's that's kind of, you know, it lead generation happens. Um, I mean, I, I think about it in my own experience. It's like you and I both, Tom, have created, we're constantly creating content. There's a ton of it. Um, mm -hmm. But oftentimes, you know, I'll have conversations with prospective clients for coaching, for example, who you know, they've read multiple of my books. They, they, they tell me they've been subscribed to our email list for years of reading content. And, but, you know, it's maybe three years later that they actually reach out uh, to, to work together. And that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you said earlier about the, like the firm or the attorney bio. I feel like the attorney bio is a list of things that you've done or that you can do. Whereas this thought leadership volume of work, as you say, is sort of like your canon in terms of what you believe and what you stand for. And I, I really believe that a lot of service professionals get hired for that type of thought and demonstrated expertise for sure, but also the, what they think and how they go about solving problems. You know, it comes to mind some of the activity you mentioned about, you know, reaching out immediately out to someone and try to sell your wares. Laura Frederick, um, who was a guest on our podcast, kind of did a, a little rant about this on LinkedIn and very diplomatically put it, um, probably more so than I'm about to, but you know the person that connects with you on LinkedIn and then you get an, the minute you hit connect, you get an auto responder saying, hey, thank you for connecting. I want to explore ways that we can uh, work together. What really means I'm, I want to sell you something. And then they immediately go into a sales pitch. Here's what we do. Here's our testimonials. You get this long, like, does anyone ever respond to that? That's sort of the question that Laura posed this week. Well, does anyone respond to that? Or for me, I immediately get turned off and I want to unconnect with this person because they just went for the jugular and, you know, I'm happy to connect, but I don't want to be sold. 
Yeah, I agreed. I these days it happens so frequently on LinkedIn. I the, the the only action I take is immediately like deleting that connection because I know that you know if if someone is and it's it's probably somehow automated. Um, and I know that if I'm getting one such message, I'm going to be getting others, and it's just simply a distraction. I mean, there's no there's no reason to be they're not providing any value, um, and that's what your that's what thought leadership uh, marketing is all about is, is providing value. And, and, you know, with the understanding based on, upon the principle of, of reciprocity that, that someday, you know, that value will redound to your benefit, but you can't be, you can't be like just transparently uh, aggressive about, about pitching someone immediately after making contact with them. I mean, we see that with our podcast all the time too, Tom, right? We, yeah. we're, we're always getting, we're always getting emails uh, from people and we welcome that. We want to have great guests on our show, but, uh, but so often the pitch is just a copy and paste job uh, of a potential guest that's being sent by some PR communications person who clearly has never listened to our show. They don't understand our audience, the topics or anything else. And that that's sort of the same, same principle. We get the same things. I get emails all the time about, um, uh, wanting to write a guest post for our blog. All it would take is one, one moment for someone to go on our blog and see that we've never had anyone do a guest <laughs> post. And at no point do we invite anyone to do that, but it's just, it's just little examples or anecdotes of situations that where it's, you know, people are trying to do quote lead generation rather than really nurturing relationships and having conversations. Yeah. Well, and that sort of dovetails into our, our second issue here, which is um, another thing that thought leadership is not is a trick. And I feel like so much of this marketing automation that's out there is framed in the, uh, in the context of somehow tricking somebody into offering up an email address so that they can be spammed. So like for what example, one example I'm thinking of is, and I don't mean to disparage any of these tactics outright. I'm just saying attorneys and law firms need to make sure that they're aligning their marketing tactics with the buying behaviors of the people that they want to influence. So one thing that I do not think aligns with this is this notion that we're going to create a piece of content, but we're going to hide it behind a gate. And the only way you can get it is if you give me an email address. And I can tell you firsthand that most of the email addresses that are offered are fake because they want the free content, but they don't want to get spammed. And they know what's coming next, right? The user knows, okay, is it this valuable that I'm willing to get put on a list that I have to unsubscribe to, or I'm going to get constantly pestered? So, um, so what's common is we call these things lead magnets and we put them behind a gate and you have to subscribe to something to get the content. Um, and then immediately somebody signs up, they get an automated email, with it, which is just a thinly veiled pitch. Again, we're going right for the jugular, let's sell. And I feel like this is all like, why are we trying to trick somebody into offering an email address to only to market to someone that you have no idea if there's any interest or applicability to the, the services that you offer? And we just do these things because they're easy, because it's been taken as an article of faith that they work. We have the hub spots of the world out there showing how easy this is supposed to be for everyone. And we just, we want to believe that it's easy and it can be automated. Um, I just don't think that's what thought leadership is. Thought leadership is not tricking people. It's actually freely offering and providing your expertise to the to the internet, to the world at large, to the market and saying, this is what I believe. These are the problems I solve. Here's how I attack issues. And all of that is what then naturally and organically attracts genuine interest. Like you referenced earlier, it might not be the second you hit send on an email, but over time, these things, they have these, this compounding interest and you will get 
an inbound inquiry at some point, it could be next week, it could be three years from now, as you said, but you're putting all of this farming work into motion so that these really interested and motivated buyers come to you and say, I believe in everything that you've said for so long, either I've heard it, I've read it, and I'm in a position now where I need your expertise, and I've eliminated all of the other voices out there because I've enrolled in your ideas. I love that word. I've enrolled in your ideas. I'm ready now to subscribe and pay for something. And that's the idea behind thought leadership. It's not a trick. It's a journey. It's authentic and it's real. And I think because of it, when you go back to the first thing, the the leads that it does generate are much more valuable because it's not somebody who's been tricked into providing contact information the only reason an inbound inquiry comes is because they're probably 85 to 90% of the way through the buying journey. And now you're just talking about price and scope of work. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I do think, you know, if people there, I think it's, I think as marketers, sometimes um, we want to be able to provide counsel and advice that aligns with an easily, easily measurable metric. Right. And and the number of email subscribers that are coming in as a result of you know a lead magnet being on a website is is one one such metric. And one of the challenges with thought leadership, frankly, is that it doesn't it doesn't lend itself as easily to metrics. I and mean, we sometimes get asked by clients like, you know, what can I expect? And that's a very difficult thing to answer. Uh, there is a certain leap of faith that needs to be required that's required when engaging in this type of marketing activity, the, you know, the long-term um, content creation, thought leadership, content creation efforts. Um, and so as a result of that, sometimes it's easier just to default to say, look, you know, this will work. It will get, you'll get it. There's all, it's almost like there's a mathematical formula. Now, Kevin Kelly's um, thousand true fans is all, oftentimes pointed to as a as like some sort of scientific metric of, of if you if you get a certain number of email subscribers, a certain percentage of those email subscribers will become clients. It doesn't work that way. Um, it's mm-hmm. not. It might work that way for like a ten dollar cloud software product or something right. like that, yeah. or a or a you know paid newsletter or something like that. But not for not for a, a high price uh, service such as uh, legal services that require a high degree of trust and expertise. Um, so, so you're right. I think that that, um, that idea of, of focusing on, uh, focusing on that sort of short-term, uh, capture of email addresses as the metric, um, doesn't capture what thought leadership really is all about. Yep. Yeah. I call those vanity metrics because I feel like those make you feel good, um, that something is being accomplished, but I think that takes the focus away from really what the end result is. Those are sort of leading indicators that the activity that you're doing is having some sort of effect out there. But focusing on the lagging indicator, which is, you know, who am I in the ecosystem of my particular area of expertise? And am I regarded as a leading voice, the go-to resource? You know, all of that takes time and it's tough to measure those wins along the way. But everyone, anyone that comes to us or anyone just in general, who they, they have these peers out there that they admire and they think, how did they get to that point? Why is that person so revered and austere? And why does he or she command such high fees? And it's not because they, you know, got there on the cheap and 
and and paid a you know invested a small amount of money and it just took off. What you're seeing is all of that stuff that led up to the overnight sensation, as they say, right? It's like 20 years in the making and then you know 20 minutes in the offing. But that's just not how it works. And if you want to be there someday, you have to realize that that someday is going to maybe be delayed gratification because you need to put the hard work that person put in to get where they are. And again, that's it's easier to point to as we as marketers and say, well yeah, that's too hard to measure, but here I've got subscribers, I've got clicks, I've got, here's your open rate, it's going up, all of those vanity metrics, right? And yeah, Tom, I think just one final point on vanity metrics, which is that the other the other effect of, of focusing on vanity metrics that can be detrimental is the fact that when you're, you're focused on such metrics, such as the, uh, the acquisition of email addresses, sometimes that can take you away from uh, your, your, narrow focus, right? You start to expand your audience. You try to make your content more relevant to more people um, because then you can you can capture more of those uh, those email addresses, for example. Um, whereas what you know the the long-term benefit of focusing on your minimum viable audience, to use a Seth Godin term, is is going to be what you know is sort of that farming tactic where you're going to reap a better harvest as a result of that. Right. So um all right, and then uh, you know I, I think we we uh, we talked about some of this, but I you know this idea of of thought leadership not being a shortcut. Um, anything else on that issue that we haven't addressed yet in the in the other um, other kind of issues related to thought leadership that we've already discussed? Well, just maybe it's a reiteration of the fact. I think it's easy to be seduced by this notion that this is there's all of this marketing automation and technology out there that's made this so much easier. And if I could just find the right secret sauce um, that everyone else is doing, you know, there's, there's like this pure envy. There's this assumption that everyone else is out there throwing 50, hundred bucks at Google AdWords and they're getting all this business. And I got, I just got to find what is this formula that everyone else is using when that formula really doesn't exist, um, especially for um, service professionals who are looking for long-term engagements again at high premium rates, you know, that sort of thing just isn't out there. So I get approached sometimes by someone asking me whether it's an attorney or just people are interested naturally in what I do. And they, they, they want to know like this all in a perfect world, this would all happen without me. And thought leadership doesn't happen without the thought leader. So there is some automation that we put into our campaigns, but at its core, it's, truly the thought leader needs to invest his or her expertise into this program. Um, and it can't be just sort of outsourced to some automation technology so that you can take a quick shortcut. And, you know, if I sign up today in 90 days, I'm going to have all the clients I need and then I can turn it off. And then, you know, I just, you know, not to cast any aspersions on lawyers in particular, because I don't think it's exclusive to them. It's just people think there's the secret shortcut out there and they just need to go find it. And I think, unfortunately, the marketing profession has sort of feeded some of that because they, you know, we want to be hired for that secret sauce. And I just, I would caution people into thinking that there, it's it's a short time horizon where you go from rags to riches. So. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and, and that's a great segue into our last point, which is that as valuable as thought leadership marketing can be, it's still not a complete substitute or, or a substitute at all for 
your personal business development efforts, correct? Um, so what, just maybe draw the distinction between, you know, you've, you're investing your time and resources into sort of planting the seeds through your thought leadership marketing, but there's still some biz dev that needs to happen, right? Yeah, sure. And if, I don't mean to, you know, to the prior point, um, create the false impression that this is all on the attorney, you know, that they have to do all of it because the, the marketing machine can be run by others, right? So you have a marketing department or you, ret- you retain a marketing firm to do some of the marketing activity. But what they cannot do, they are not uniquely qualified to nurture a lead and close a lead. So um, would never want to create the false assumption that you can hire some sort of marketing tool that will you know, find a lead, nurture the lead, close the lead to the point where all you have to do is, you know, dig in and start practicing law and send an invoice. Um, I would say that final 10 yards on the football field to get from, you know, the red zone into the end zone is almost exclusively uh, on the attorney. So this is when somebody has, in your uh, story earlier, somebody's finally reached out to you and said, hey, I'm in a position of need. You're my expert. I'm ready to hire you you can't fumble the ball, right? You need to then pick up the baton. I'm going to mix, mix my metaphors from the marketing department. And now you're into the sales department, which is you as the business development, the attorney who need to have effective sales strategies. And, you know, there's all sorts of resources out there to learn what those are, but great listening skills and in, in framing the problem in a way that you are positioned to solve it. All of those things still need to happen because at the end of the day, you, you, the attorney are going to be submitting a proposal for an engagement. And that person needs to go from really interested, which is all the stuff that the marketing can do. And then they need to go, they need to bridge into complete and utter trust all the way to action, which is signing the proposal. And that last 10 yards, this this trust in this action um, is really where the business developer lives. And that's something that I would not want to outsource to a marketing department. So the idea being that this isn't a replacement for business development, it's to generate more qualified, interested inquiries into your services so that you have a better and easier job closing that, that opportunity. Yeah. So if you think about it, it's it's really a one-two punch where thought leadership is the thing that is going to allow you to be visible for the prospect as they're going through their vetting process. Increasingly, that process is happening online, digitally, oftentimes without the, the lawyer even knowing they're in, under consideration. We've cited before research from uh, Gartner, which talks about the fact that even pre-COVID, I think it's almost 60% of the buying process for sophisticated professional services is happening uh, online, digitally, with again, um, sort of asynchronous, where the, uh, the the buyer is is searching for information about those people who are appropriate for an engagement and and making decisions and winnowing down their options again without the without the lawyer or service provider even even knowing that's happening. I think there's studies from LinkedIn, the LinkedIn Edelman study also backs up some of those notions that thought leadership is increasingly an important. Um, quality that they're looking for in in the options that they're vetting online. And then, you know, so your thought leadership is going to help you to cross that that finish line. And then you start a new race, which is what is the business development process? But that's, you know, you've 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 laid a lot of foundation. Oftentimes, you know, real high profile, well-respected thought leaders oftentimes can short circuit much of the sales process, in fact, because 
you've given people so much to go by in terms of evaluating uh, your expertise and growing to trust you as the right person for the job. So there's a nice sort of symbiotic relationship between thought leadership and business development. Absolutely. And I, going back to metrics, I think the scariest metric is the one that you don't know, which is how many opportunities, how many at-bats did I not even get because I wasn't visible uh, I wasn't authoritative. I just couldn't be found online. And even for professional services firms, sophisticated ones, as you mentioned in Gartner research back up, I think the number is actually 67% that a, a potential buyer 67% of the way through the journey before they even reach out to a potential service provider. That's that's crazy. If, if you're in that, if you're not, you don't have a seat at the table in that 67% of the journey, you'll never get the final 33%. So my key metric is what am I missing out on that I could have had it had I just participated in what my buyer's buying journey actually is. Again, this is all about aligning your marketing strategy with the buying behaviors of your target market. And if my target market is, you know, Googling online and evaluating thought leadership and you're not there, then you don't even know if you had how many missed opportunities. So I think that's a, a scary metric to, you know, not to put the fear of, of, of God in anyone, but that's, that's the, the metric I would be worried about and focused on in, in trying to solve, honestly. Yeah. And, and I would say that just consider your own buying behavior, you know, when, right. when hiring people. I mean, you know, back in the day, you used to hire the person who had the biggest ad in the yellow pages if we go way yeah. back. Um, right. But, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not the way any of us buy these days. Um, often, you know, we're not just we're not just randomly calling people in most cases. Um, there's some, you know, there's some association, there's some uh, familiarity that's been developed. Uh, and and that might be through a due diligence process, or it might be because we've been on their new newsletter yeah, list for, for three years or whatever the case might be. Um, right. So align, align your marketing activity with your buying behavior, which I think is probably more in line with, with what I describe rather than the just random approach. Yeah. And just to close on that, I think the you have to consider the halo effect, too, of your thought leadership marketing and your expertise, because you, there's also an audience out there who are observing you who aren't in a position to ever hire you. This could be other attorneys, um, but they may refer you. And so when you ask a service professional, how do you get most of your leads currently? They'll say by referral. And so what happens going back to the buyer behavior? If you don't have a particular go-to person for a specific matter, you start asking around and you ask a trusted uh you know, confidant. It could be a colleague. It could be just a friend. And you say, hey, I have this thing. Uh, who do you know that is an expert in this area? You want to be that. Who do you know? So how do you establish that? Who do you know? If you can't be everywhere all the time, and nowadays it's hard to be anywhere any of the time, this thought leadership content is the is the marketing muscle that travels and you don't have to be in the room to convince somebody that you're an expert. Again, this is going to take time and it's going to take willful sharing of expertise online, but consider that other audience, which are the potential referral sources. And if you're establishing over time, this, their trust in their esteem, then they're going to pay that forward to somebody who comes looking to them for an answer to a question that you can solve. Yeah. I think that's a great place to wrap up, Tom. So, uh, Thank you. That was uh, that was insightful, and I hope hopefully our listeners will get something from this as well. Because I, you know, it's like the uh, the curse of the curse of knowledge, right? Where we're you know we're doing marketing work all day, so we see these distinctions between these different tactics, and 
And sometimes I think it helps others who, you know, aren't solely focused on these things to, to hear kind of the nuances between, you know, what you can do and, and what you should do in terms of uh, building a practice and, and generating visibility over the long term. And, and definitely we, we believe that thought leadership marketing is the best way to accomplish that. So um, any final thoughts, Tom, or is that, do you want to take us yeah. out? Yeah, I'll just say, you know, because here's the another curse is that there is so much that a marketer can do nowadays. I mean, back when it was buy a yellow page ad or not, the decisions were easy, but there's so many opportunities. And I think this is where people who aren't in our business, this is when they get confused and they look around and they say, well, there's, there's Google, there's pay-per-click, there's, I can still do TV ads. I can hear about the thought leadership marketing. I heard email marketing. I heard of lead magnets. I've heard of digital marketing, social media, and they just get confused and overwhelmed. And so back to, there is a distinction to be made, um, in terms of what you can do, which is a lot of things, and what you should do, which I think is a much narrower narrower set of of tactics for attorneys. So um, again, the trick is just finding what aligns with the buying behaviors of your public. And then the rest is somewhat self-evident. So thanks again. Oh, go ahead, Jay. Oh yeah, I was gonna say yeah. To, just to sorry, we keep, keep close it. out the close Apparently, out. we had a lot lot to say on this topic, but yeah, I mean, think about it in these terms: the your thought leadership. Those are those are your ideas, and any good marketing requires great ideas. Most of what you described, Tom, the email marketing, the social media, th- those are just distribution channels for your ideas. So it all starts with the ideas. So I'll leave it there. Absolutely. Well, in in case I keep on going, I am going to just say thank you to our listeners and we'll see you next week on the Thought Leadership Project podcast. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.